But if you look at the aggregate of the S&P 500, there's still well over half of the names are still off and many of them significantly year to date. So it's not, the index itself is not truly telling the story of how stocks at the median level are actually performing. From the Ballast office in Lexington, Kentucky, welcome to The Ballast Life, a series of conversations highlighting respected professionals, community leaders, and important topics that are necessary to achieving financial cohesion. Hey everybody, Andy Reynolds here, COO and financial advocate from Ballast. I'm excited today to be sitting down with John Boardman, our CEO and founder uh, and my business partner to talk a little bit about what we've been thinking about in the office and the conversations that we've been having in the office. Um, more remotely than typical, but today fortunately able to, to come sit distantly apart from each other, um, but be able to spend some time together. So, John, let's just kind of jump right into things. Um, you know, I think the number one question I'm getting right now from clients is how's the market doing so well in light of what's going on with COVID-19 and jobs and unemployment and whatnot. So just thought maybe we'd start there if you want to share your thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thrilled to be joined with you today, Andy. I, I think the market when it's most healthy is forward looking and uh, right now, it, this market is obviously not looking at economic conditions uh, that we exist in today. It's looking forward because um, what we've seen is um, a spike in unemployment and companies, you know, profits going away and many companies hemorrhaging cash right now. So markets today are not reflective of that. So it's obviously looking forward at, to, to some, at some point down the road. How far that is, I think, varies by markets, but I think there is some acceptance at this point that this will, in fact, come to an end. Um, whether that's at the end of this year or the middle of next year, I guess would probably be the most dire um, prediction that I've heard. But there will be some resolution to this crisis that we're going through and that companies will go back to making money again. I think it's that as well as when the, when the crisis hit, the most common sort of corporate reaction was that companies just suspended guidance. They didn't know what Q2 would look like. Many of them have had a hard time at the beginning of this earnings period even predicting what Q3 and Q4 might look like. So that void of information, I think, has uh, really forced the markets to react on the news that it's receiving, which is... Uh, the, the Fed doing everything in its power to stimulate um, the economy by keeping rates as low as possible. Um, and obviously um, from Washington, um, various stimulus that's been pumped into the system and it, which happened quite quickly. And so to me, the market is just gonna trade on the information it has. And so that void of actual corporate data paired with sort of an influx and uh, sort of a flood of um, sort of big forces that I think are helping the market. Um, just generally speaking, I think that's that's a big part of it. But it's sort of depends on the week. I mean, yeah. this week it feels good, but it wasn't. But a few weeks ago, it felt like it was a little bit more fragile. So it's just a very fluid situation. Yeah, I definitely think the market is moving on the short-term news and, and still trying to find a footing, still trying to figure yeah. out, you know, what direction... Where, where are we going to be at the end of the year? And so many different directions we could be going. Um, you know, 
I think there's also some degree of that fear of missing out. You know, yeah. you especially if you sold earlier, and now the market's come back so strongly in a matter of weeks. Um, you know, it, the the fear of of missing that rally, and who, who knows how long it continues. Um, I think you're seeing some more money come back into the markets that way as well. Right, and the market cap weighted nature of markets yeah. too. You know, the S and P 500, which tends to be the more sort of quoted index today versus the Dow, which used to be so often most quoted, um, is market cap weighted. So those largest companies represent more and um, they have been doing the best. And because so many of those are technology names that I think investors, markets, whoever you want to call it is actually driving market prices. Um, they see technology. They know money's being spent there. They know money's being spent um, on mobile activity, on things that don't require sort of face-to-face uh, human interaction. Um, so you've seen the names uh, that have benefited, like an Amazon, uh, from this, and it's that's become a comfortable place for investors to put money. Um, and I think because those companies represent so much from a market cap standpoint, they're having an overwhelming impact, I think, on market performance. But if you look at the aggregate of the S&P 500, there's still well over half of the names are still off, and many of them significantly year to date. So it's not, the index itself is not truly telling the story of how stocks at the median level are actually performing. Yeah, and I mean, that's a good point. We've talked in the past about this indexing effect that's really still relatively new. You know, we've been really seeing a big impact on it over the past five years or so, you know, maybe go back 10 years to see some, some sub- substantial impact. But, you know, how does that, when those represent, when the top five companies represent almost a third of the market mm-hmm. now, you know, how does that, and, and we all are chasing those companies because we all are investing passively, not we all, but there's a big movement to passing, passive investing. How does that continue to add fuel to that fire? And when is there a breaking point of, you know, you look at valuations and they start to not make sense at all anymore and that change occurs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's yet to be seen. I mean, this is this is uh, a very um, sort of fractured market. I mean, you have the growth side that's, you know, really, I think year to date was outperforming as of this morning, the value side of the index by like 27% yeah. year to date. Um, that's a pretty unusual market environment. And, and I think it's, um, obviously, the technological makeup of the growth side has a lot to do with that that sort of dichotomy. But um, but yeah, it's it, it will be interesting. I mean, the, the index investing has the implications of it. I should say have been questioned for for a while, and I yeah. think this will be an interesting period to see. I've got a question for you, um, and it was interesting because I had a call this morning with a client, and it's been a pretty common. Uh, question of late. Um, we have an election coming up, believe it or not. Uh, yeah. It doesn't appear to, it's not getting the headlines that you would usually expect only four months out, less than yeah. four months out, um, obviously with the COVID uh, taking, taking the limelight. But what, what are you talking to clients about right now as far as, you know, this election and, you know, what types of impact it, it might have, you know, based on whatever outcome we end up with. Yeah, I, I think there's a, a lot of interest in that. It seems to your point, you know, we're not really seeing all the ads yet, um, which I think we can all be thankful for that. Yeah. Uh, we, they'll come. Um, but, you know, I think with any election, there's a lot of 
fear that gets driven by that, no matter which side you're on, because you look at the other camp and you say, my goodness, if they are able to pass some of these things, the world is going to change forever. And, and you can really get caught up in that narrative and you're being told that narrative um, from both the people running for the presidency and, and from different news uh, media sources. So I think you can scare yourself into a corner of, my goodness, the world as we know it is changing and, and all these things are going to completely disrupt things. Um, I, I think we have to kind of take a step back with any election and just kind of look at the facts. Typically, you see one, two, maybe three big things happen when, when somebody is elected and there's a new president. You know, they, they run on all these big ideas of change and whatnot, but when they actually get in office, it's much more hard to change this big ship of our country that we're all on um, than what may seem as simple as a tax change or yeah. a health care change or whatnot. Um, so when those things do change, though, they're, they're impactful. But they're not as prevalent as one would think. Also, the markets don't really care. You know, when, when we talk about the election, we focus on how it kind of impacts our life. And we navigate that into how it affects the markets. And we seem to feel like those are going to be similar impacts. Um, and I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I think the market cares about making money. And in most environments, there are companies that can make money. Right. Um, so it may be a shift in leadership of different companies or sectors or, or whatnot. But, you know, I think the statistic is in an election year, 82% of the time, the, the market's positive. Yeah. So I think that's evident of the market really doesn't care that's about right. the election. The market cares about making money. So I think those are, those are big things to look at. You know, obviously, in the headline news is are going to be healthcare taxes I think you know no matter who wins the presidency are going to be um, back in the headlines um, but but big picture I think more importantly focus on what we can control um, the election is going to have an impact but I, we don't know where or how or when right so focus on the things we can control what, what do you think what did you share this morning well I, I I agree with everything you said I mean it is a big ship to turn and you know the way we get our our news today it just requires it to be somewhat um, dramatic I guess would be for, for lack of a better term that the news outlets today their job is to get you excited get you scared, whatever it might be to get you coming back to watch again. And I think that that is just the world we live in now because there's so many different ways we can spend our time and so many different places we can go to get our information. So sensationalizing everything they can is sort of the, the news. I mean, it's entertainment now. And yeah. So much of news is. So they have to do everything in, in their power to make you excited about your side and make you scared of the other side. And I think what, what we're running into um, is just a byproduct of that, of, of people sort of hearing that and going to their dedicated news source on either side of the political spectrum and, and this sort of further emboldens them and, and what they may already believe, but makes them very scared of the alternative. And um, in just looking at market history, um, presidents actually do not matter that much. Political party actually does not matter that much to many people's surprise if you just look at it on an average performance in you know and who's in office so um, 
there are obviously some big things like taxes that are that are on the table, healthcare, you know, all of those things could see change based on who wins the next election. Um, and I could see why that would strike fear in people, but I do tend to think that people um, overreact to the uh, potential outcome, um, particularly when it maybe runs counter to what they believe politically. Yeah. Um, which, again, it, overreactions are 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 okay. It's just important as investors, I think, that we you have to, as you said, step back and just you know take as 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 much of an objective sort of view on things. Yeah, it's funny. I can't remember who's quoted, but it was either today or yesterday. There's a, a big article, and it was basically just remember if you're an investor, you're optimistic. And if you are going to continue to invest, you have to believe the world's going to get better and continue to get better. So take to that point of taking a step back, I think that's important. Um, you're talking about the media, and I think it's a frustration of, of, of ours because um, there's so many different narratives out there. And no matter how you feel, you can find data to back up how you feel. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to figure out well, what's reality. And I think that, you know, in, in our careers, it's gotten even more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk a little bit about the metrics that um, you're thinking about and, and how, how are we analyzing all the noise out there to figure out, okay, how do we make our informed decisions? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think, you know, we, we've said consistently um, for years that our job is to be objective and, you know, look at the data, not get caught up in hysteria and, and, and um, sort of, um, you know, the sensationalizing, I guess, for, for lack of a better term. I'm looking at this world sort of as a, a COVID world and a post-COVID world right now. Um, you know, what we're seeing in economic activity today hopefully looks far different than what it looks like a year from now. But I think there will be some real telling data points as we start to see the world reopen. And I know we've reopened, so to speak, but it, we're sort of seeing it slowly and some of that stuff being rolled back. I'm talking about, you know, a vaccine exists yeah. and, and people feel comfortable to go out again. What does that behavior look like versus what it did prior to this episode? Yeah. And I think we'll see some change. Um, and I think some of the investment that you've seen that's come into technology has been sort of a um, predictor of that sort of behavior that people will not be traveling as much for business and they're going to be, you know, using the Zoom technologies of the world and things like that to, to, to meet. Um, some of that may be overblown. It, it, some of that will reverse. I mean, it, it's, it's, time will tell how much companies um, change their behavior. But I think if you looked back to the last big recession, which was the financial crisis, the telling data points coming out of that were basically capital investment. How optimistic, capital investment and hiring basically, how, how optimistic were corporations to go out and spend money? Will this be an environment that has sort of a hangover effect for the next two, three, four, five years that, that slows you know rehiring because i think it's very realistic that we end the year even if things go well from here that we end the year somewhere in that eight to ten or plus percent or more unemployment rate it could happen and um it it is going to be very important for this economy that companies are feel confident to be able to go out and invest 
to make capital investments, but also and really more so in, in people um, and not technology as an alternative to people. So that's probably the biggest data point. I think inflation's a big one as well. I mean, you've with any sort of stimulus where you throw a lot of money into the system, that's always your big fear that that might have some sort of inflationary impact. I think the fact that unemployment's likely to be a bit challenged, or employment, I should say, is a bit challenged, probably will keep wages down, which I think is a fairly, um, probably the most important driver of long-term inflation. Um, but it's a number of things. I mean, obviously, corporate strength, um, earnings, those things. But I'd say inflation and just corporate optimism, for lack of a better term, are the, are the big ones that I'm paying attention to. Yeah, no, I think those are good. You know, I can remember talking to people post the financial crisis about cash on balance sheets, corporate balance sheets. Yeah. And I remember CEOs coming out saying, we don't want to do this again. We don't want to have to go through and gut the company. Again. Yeah. So we're going to be slow. And I really feel like it was really only couple of years ago when that risk taking you know we're gonna we're gonna buy this completely different company and find the synergies and we're gonna go in this completely different direction and take that risk again so you know part of me I always think about the coming back to the financial crisis as the Nike swoosh sign you know it's this big dip down and slow recovery yeah. um, so when you talk about this big long bull market it's like yes it was but it was a very slow period to get back to that risk taking again. And even in, in light of the pandemic, I don't feel like it was the crazy, greedy risk taking yet. Right. And that's typically what you see. So that gives me a little hope that, you know, depending on how long we're in this weird period of time, if we can get to the vaccine, the sooner it is, maybe the sooner we get back to that normal way of life. Um, I, I agree the the jobs are, are going to be an important number. You know, there, there were certainly jobs that were getting frothy. And, you know, when you self-reflect and you're coming out of this, do you really need XYZ person that, yeah, it made our life better, but did it ultimately affect the bottom line? I think those jobs could, could be gone. And then t- to the point we were talking earlier about technology, there will be jobs that never come back. Um, and have been replaced, forced to be replaced. That that trend was happening at some point. Right. Um, it just kind of expedited things. Um, I think consumer spending is important. We've seen that shift. Um, I think talking to people, you know, I, th- I think it's very clear. We'll talk about this in a little bit, but I think it's very clear that this have and have nots have, have continued through this process. The haves, um, it seems like they they have more cash to spend than before, um, or they're finding different ways to spend it. Um, the have-nots are where we need them to. We need we gotta all help them up. Um, yeah. And and I think that just unfortunately continued during this pandemic. Yeah. You made a good point. I mean, the, the uh, thinking back and comparing this to the financial crisis. The one positive that came from the financial crisis is that it did require companies to maybe be a little bit more responsible with their balance sheet. I mean, there were companies that couldn't make payroll when um, basically at the, the peak of, of the crisis um, because the uh, credit markets locked up. This environment, the Fed essentially stepped in and did everything possible to prevent that from happening. Yeah. So. In many ways, they may have created a little bit of a moral hazard here where now companies don't feel like 
they have to prepare themselves because there's always someone there waiting, you know, with a cushion to, to get them through that. So as much as a positive that might be for the economy, um, you, you would like to think that companies are rewarded or punished for levels of risk taking. Right. I mean, that's how I think an economy works works most efficiently. You know, and there was a dialogue the other day on CNBC about that to that point of what does our leadership do? What does Congress do? Do we create these zombie corporations that probably are not going to make it out of this, right. but we want to keep the jobs for, for our population. So we continue to, to give government stimulus to keep the jobs around for a company that in three, four years from now probably isn't going to be here. Right. Um, it, it, it's a fascinating... Yeah, I mean, you've seen a ton of retailers that have declared bankruptcy or going through some sort of financial reorganization because they just can't make it work. Well, the reality was... They were probably headed there anyway over the yeah. next few years. This just accelerated yeah, that, that happening. One of the things I want to talk about, um, and it sort of gets to that point because we're talking about sort of industries and how each are sort of navigating this period. Um, and we touched on a little bit at the beginning of the conversation, but you know, the growth versus value debate has been a big one. Um, obviously, a, a major topic just because of the disparity in performance. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And and then also thinking back to the tech bubble, which is always what happens. Uh, that always comes into the conversation whenever you see the growth indexes doing so well and technology stocks doing so well. What are your thoughts on growth value? And then also maybe a little bit on um, how today's growth market is similar or, or dissimilar from from what it was back in 99, 2000. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, when you think about what you own in a portfolio, which ultimately is this question, what, what should we own? What should we be, how should we be allocating the portfolio? You know, I think there's a difference between a portfolio allocation and trying to accomplish certain goals versus investing in a company and taking risks. Um, you know, in the portfolio, we've always had somewhat of a value tilt. And it's really, you know, Brian was talking about this the other day. It's, it's not necessarily a value tilt. It's a more quality tilt because we want that long-term growth exposure and not growth as far as an asset class, but we want that long-term exposure to to increase our, our asset base um, so that as you withdraw money out of it, you're keeping up with inflation and beating inflation. Um, but when you're designing a portfolio for stability over long term, it's also helpful to have quality names in there. So, you know, I think that when you're putting together a portfolio, I think it's a different conversation of how you allocate the portfolio versus just growth versus value. Um, it's, in my opinion, not surprising to see the growth names have the type of returns that they've had. You know, we talked earlier about the market weightings there's a tailwind being created by the way we and, and even institutional investors are investing mm-hmm. you know index funds and ETFs the passive investing has has been skyrocketing and, and I don't see that stopping anytime soon so there's that tailwind of you're in the index you make a big percentage of the index new money is coming into the index there's going to be a tailwind there and so you look at that versus these value names that are becoming a smaller and smaller percentage of the index. 
um, when it's market weighted, and, and it makes sense. There's probably a breaking point at some point there. A, you know, my goodness, this company is a PE ratio of four. It's doing fantastic. Why somebody at some point is, is going to catch on to that, or, or we're all going to catch on to that. We're going to change. I don't, I don't know when that is. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not surprising, you know. Amazon, Apple, these large names that we're all familiar with that we all access daily. I mean, I have an iPhone, I have an iPad, I have a MacBook, <laughs> we have a MacBook right next to us. You know, it's it's not surprising that there's a lot of money coming into that because they're doing a good job. So I think people are willing to take a little bit more risk and there's also been, I think, created this kind of safe, false safe haven during the pandemic of which we've all focused on what's going to happen when there's a sell-off to these companies that are large Mm -hmm. and innovative and forward thinking and maybe a little bit nimble may not be the right word but somewhat nimble in the way that they act versus some of these old companies that are still being run by the old way of 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 work Mm -hmm. so you know i don't know that when you're building a portfolio that that philosophy changes you still want quality um, but I think there'll be a day where we see some type of of reversion back to the mean of, of these growth companies um, but but yeah it, it's interesting what are, what are your thoughts yeah I mean I think the the growth the growth names are by far the biggest disruptors in our economy um, and they're going through that process of creative destruction. I mean, they're 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 going into industries that they were never involved with, and they're destroying these sort of legacy competitors uh, who were market leaders, but are just sort of um, struggling today because they're just they're dealing with some of the legacy issues that they've had to deal with. Um, and and I think that that immediately it's a think of the automakers right now i mean you know you have tesla who has the benefit of being this new up-and-coming innovating company that can sort of look at all the mistakes the automakers have made over the years but toyota kind of sat in that seat you know 20 25 years ago um, to their advantage and so these tech names really show no signs of slowing down they have a lot of cash behind them they're highly profitable and um, they're hiring a lot of smart people. And, and in doing that, they're able to go out and, and create all this disruption. So you can see how from just a um, attraction standpoint to investors, they're garnering a lot of attention. Um, I agree with you though, um, at some point enough's enough. You know, I mean, there is, some, there is some point where they just become you know, prohibitively expensive. That may not be today, they may still have further to go, but what we ran into in 99 was um, was just that it was there were expectations on many of these companies that were just well beyond what would ever potentially be a reality and the market woke up one day and decided well well, we've gotten a little ahead of ourselves and we saw a massive pullback because of it i think today the scrutiny around earnings cash flows is considerably higher than it was in 99 2000 which is a big deal there are actually fundamental businesses underlying these companies. They're not just ideas. They're not just page clicks, which were oftentimes driving. Um, I mean, really, they were just ideas in so many ways back in 99, 2000, really no business. It was just this concept. uh, And people were were, um, buying into this idea that the world was going to change. Well, it was. I mean, the internet did, in fact, change everything, but it just didn't happen as quickly. And maybe being the first 
one out was not necessarily the best thing. And, and so a lot of those companies got exposed really quickly or they ran out of capital. Um, I think, as we said at the beginning, you know, this environment, is it's so easy to just look at the names that you know you're spending your money on today in this environment, which is so bizarre. I mean, we, we all live in a world today that is just so strange than anything we ever have known yeah. before. Um, and I think people are actually forgetting that this will, in fact, end. I mean, I, it's funny. It's gone, what, about four months now. Uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and I said, you know, like, this time next year, this will probably feel in our past. And maybe I'm an optimist by nature. Yeah. Uh, but, I, but I think that's people are forgetting that. And, and I think there will be a tra- – things will change. There will definitely be some impact. People's behaviors will be a little bit different. And um, – and, and people may be just consciously trying to keep a little bit more distance from large crowds, things like that. We could see that. But I do think some of the traditional asset classes, um, I look at financials, for instance. I mean, they've, they've been under a lot of pressure, and, and rightfully so. I mean, you've, you've had an environment here that challenges their borrowers. Um, and it's yet to be seen, one, how long this is going to last. And so I think a lot of the financials are struggling because of yeah. that. But I do think that generally they're well, they're, they're better prepared now than they were um, you know, 10 years ago, uh, 12 years ago to deal with this um, because of the lessons they learned. But it's just going to take a little bit of time. And I think once you start to see sort of a post-COVID world, um, I think you will um, see some realization of value in some of these names that have been, you know, maybe unfairly beaten up. Um, but it, it's, um, it's a constant debate um, we do see sort of a historic separation between growth and value right now, but some of that could be just the fact that growth and value is not what it used to be. Yeah. I mean, I look at the names that are categorized traditionally as growth or value, and I could make an argument with many of them that they actually fall in the other category. Yeah. Uh, and I think that has um, has skewed that that comparison um, just a, just a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I'm. You know, I, I do believe in quality. I think that's the most important thing that we want to own for investors, um, because then we don't have to be as concerned about the market um, getting um, overly complacent about a, a sector or a, or a certain company. Yeah, I think you know one thing that a lot of people may not realize is when you, when you do have a equity-based portfolio, you, you probably are going to own a lot of those big names be, just because of the way the portfolio is comprised. And when you look at growth, you know, growth is dominated by a handful of companies. And those handful of companies have, have done really well and, and really led. But at some point, they won't. And, and you really don't want to be the last person on board. Um, so being smart about that, not just dumping money into growth now because it's done well or because you know we're we're in this new world or or new life um you got to be really careful uh you know just thinking about like social media like i went from myspace myspace was the greatest thing ever it's (laughs) it's gone now um you know aol dial-up and aol email you know those things were great facebook somehow i think is one of the next in line somehow (laughs) it's it's done a really good job staying present um but you know you you just got to be careful because those things can go from being the the limelight and was popular and absorbed by everybody to all of a sudden you know replaced by something else so you talked about just a little bit ago about 
the world being over, maybe in a year from now, which I, I hope you're right. I think there's a good probability that's maybe the time frame we're on. Um, what does that world look like? And, and not having to get out your crystal ball, but you know, how do you envision our jobs being changed and what should clients be thinking about when you think forward to whether it's 12 or 18 months from now or whenever that time period is? Yeah, um, I think it's, it's, it's very likely that for, at least for some period of time, people behave differently. Uh, just talking to clients, business owners, various people, um, it is very apparent that there will be certain behaviors that companies uh, will they'll, they'll just look different. I mean, they will probably travel less. They're probably going to you know, embrace remote work, which is interesting because over the last few years, particularly with some of the tech companies, large tech names, they've been big uh, proponents of, of remote work and, and allowing people to have flexibility, um, you know, stay-at-home moms and people being able to sort of balance that and also accomplishing their job from home. This has been an accelerator of change. You know, these were likely trends that were that were on the way um, that, um, that I think will be embraced. I do think that there will be a thirst, though, for people going back to, to the way things were. I mean, I know we've spoken about it. You know, we, we, we miss the face-to-face meetings that we had uh, with our clients, you know, every day. And, you know, that was that's what we love about our job the most is our ability to, to sit down and, and, and develop those relationships and help our, our clients. And so, you know, I, I yearn for that time when we can go back and do that. And I think a lot of people will be in that boat. Um, so I could see, you know, a, a, a wave of activity that goes back to some semblance of what we were, what we were in before. Um, you know, things like, you know, busy stadiums and concerts and movie theaters, you know, the, that is probably the one thing that I, I just don't know. You know, I think there's going to have to be a real all clear signal for people to go back and feel like they can go into those environments. Um, I flew last week and uh, I can tell you it's quite different. Um, and it took, uh, you know, us as a family, some conscious conversation and decision making behind making that decision to do so. Um, I felt very safe, uh, but it was it was very different. And even though we got back safe and everything, everyone's doing great, um, knowing that it felt different. I mean, we're not as excited to go back and get on a plane maybe as we might have been you know, in the past. And I think that's just going to take time for people yeah. to get to some level of comfort. Um, I, I um, you know, I don't want, and I think we've, you know, we agree on this. Our business, I hope, looks very similar to the way that it did before this all started. Yeah. But I've talked to some attorneys, accountants, um, and other professional types. And I think many of them, their work environments may look very different when this yeah. is over. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I was talking to yesterday someone about that. And I think the difference will be the people who need to collaborate and be in a team environment. I think those people will be more quickly to come back to an office setting. But I also think, you know, even just looking at my time at home, which I've loved being with my family and closer to the kids and being able to pop out for lunch for 20 minutes and say hello and whatnot. But I very quickly realized that we will do a better job if we can 
pop out of our offices and, and have dialogue together and we, we'll have a better product and a better service yep. for people. Um, I think people will come to realize that. You know, I know there have been a lot of questions about real estate. You know, does this completely disrupt real estate, especially corporate real estate? Um, I, I could see a, a trend where it does initially and then it reverts back. You know, the, the fact that we've had this capability for so long and it never got embraced leads me to believe there's a desire for it not to be completely embraced. Now, there will be people who were forced to work home and they realized they liked it. Right. Um, and they loved it and they're better that way. And, and I think those people will change. Um, the stadium thing, I, I agree. I don't, I don't know how that changes. You know, salad bars. Is there ever a salad bar again? Right. Um, you know, if you're Golden Corral, you're forced <laughs> to have the salad bar. But, you know, if you just, if you're a restaurant and you have a salad bar, right? you know, do, do the peanuts at Texas Roadhouse, are those gone? Yeah. Forever? You know, I, I don't know. That's, that's what I'm fascinated to see. Um, I think with times like this, bring innovation. And, you know, we're a smart group of people. You know, I think America is where the most innovation continues to happen um, I'm excited to see what changes and and how those changes can be really beneficial to the world I do think as we've all talked about I do think down the road when we're past all this we're at a better place not a worse place yeah by any means yeah yeah and I think you know we've talked about it you know the American stubbornness that that you know there's good sides to it and bad sides to it but the good side is that um, you know I was thinking about the cruise lines. I mean, those were obviously some of the first companies to come over a great deal of concern because you're talking about stuffing potentially thousands of people onto one boat. Sure. Um, and I think the initial reaction was these cruise lines are going to really have a hard time or go away. I've heard some real dire predictions. But if you talk to people that like cruise lines, they're 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 just chomping at the bit to go back to it. So I think a lot of Americans and people around the world, for that matter, will return back to many of the behaviors. Um, once they once they gain confidence, I think it's just a question of just how how long is it going to take for that confidence to to accumulate to a point where they can, where they can get back to that behavior. I think if this is a short term, if we look today and got better today, and we moved out of this big kind of slowdown, I think there's not enough damage that occurred, and I say that sincerely. You yeah. know, people have died, and, yeah. and that's awful. Um, but I don't think there's enough damage that has occurred to make a lifetime change. You know, to your point about cruise ships, that's always been why I'm not a fan of cruise ships because I think they're, it kind of grosses me out to <laughs> think about all those people jammed together. Uh, but I'm also the person who has hand sanitizer all the time. <laughs> um, I think if, if this fall and winter gets significantly worse, I think that's where, you know, you start to... I still think people look back to the financial crisis and are still somewhat licking their wounds from that, oh, yeah. whether it's corporations or investors. I don't think we're at that point yet with this pandemic. If we get to that deep of a challenge, which hopefully we don't, I think that's where potentially you start really seeing disruption of, you know, remember that pandemic. I never want to get on a cruise ship again because that was awful. Yeah. I don't think we're there yet. I mean, in economic history, modern economic history or, you know, Let's just go back 100 years. I mean, the Great Depression, because it took so long to sort of dig out, is one of the reasons that it 
has it created change for decades yeah. because of that. And we deal with people in our client base who were, you know, children of people, yeah. uh, you know, or we have some that were, you know, uh, it, were, were children during the Great Depression. They remember not having um, uh, a lot of food. And I think that is, um, that is something that is, you never want to have economic crises. You never want to have recessions. You, you don't want to have depressions. But when they, when they solve themselves really quickly, it doesn't have the healing and the cleansing impact that, yeah. that a recession and can have and, and does have. And, and you talk about things being better. Yes, they are. And they tend to be better because of the people learn. But w- will this window... Will companies, will individuals learn learn from this? I think that that will be very telling when, when this period's over. So when you're looking out, and you know we're we're both optimists by nature, and we, but you know when we look out over the next ten years, you know, and we're always looking out ten years or more, for, you know, for our clients. But when you, when you think about that period of time, um, and acknowledging that this situation has altered things to some extent i mean what are the what are some of the tailwinds that you think could help and and potentially some of the headwinds that that the u.s and global economies might face um over call it the next decade yeah you know i think a lot of the tailwinds and headwinds kind of same thing for both sides you know so if you look like interest rates interest rates are depending on your perspective a headwind, you know, for savers, a headwind for potentially making good financial decisions. I can't tell you how many people have debt or corporations or entities have debt. And when you talk to them about the debt, they have the ability to pay it off, but they're like, hey, this is only a 2%, 3% interest rate. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't mind it for that. Well, you don't mind it until something really bad happens. So, or if you're just a saver, you know, the, the, the person who, when the pandemic hit, probably sold in March. It never should have been an investor. You know, those are big headwinds. Um, tailwinds, same thing, though. You can borrow cheaply to grow a business. You can borrow cheaply to, um, you know, get a, a bigger mortgage. And, and as long as you have the cash flow to pay it off, you can accumulate an asset. Um, you know, th- those are... I think interest rates have to be in that column. I think um, debt, corporate debt, will figure out on the back end of this personal debt. Uh, personal debt so far doesn't seem to be a huge issue. You know, I know auto debt starting to creep up, but you know, credit card debt's been pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that financial crisis, people are people have not forgotten about that. Right. So we'll see what the next couple of years looks like. Government debt, corporate debt, I think we're going to have a day of reckoning. Um, how and when, I don't know. You know. I always tell people the easiest way to deal with that is from the, corp- or from the government side is just inflate your way out of it. And, and yeah, my guess would be that's what happens at some point. And maybe we're seeing part of that now. Um, you know, all this money being pumped into the system. Um, you know, I think those are, those are big things. I think something we're going to have to deal with and this is kind of a bigger picture issue and philosophical issue, but there's a separation of wealth out there and, and we all recognize it. Um, there's technology 
that's further exacerbating that. You know, whether that's 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, I don't know, but at some point we're going to have to deal with that. Um, you know, which brings in the taxes and, and, you know, we're at, a lot of people get frustrated with taxes, but if you look historically, we're really in a pretty nice tax environment right now. Um, you know, I think, again, headwind and tailwind, I think taxes probably go up at some point. Um, you know, healthcare system, um, we have an aging baby boomer population that eventually is going to be more reliant on healthcare. You know, that you could look at that as a headwind or you could look at it as a tailwind in that we're gonna have to take care of all those people. So it's probably more technology needs, more healthcare needs, um, which tend to be the two areas we like the most. Um, but I think, I think a lot of these things, is, it's kind of a challenge and an opportunity at the same time. I don't think there's anything from a headwind out there that I see that is just like daunting. Um, you know, the separation, the, the, the middle class, we got to get the middle class going again and better. Um, but that, that's really the biggest daunting thing. But I don't think there's anything, if, if we can do things right, I don't think there's anything over the next 10 years that I see that, that really is a big thing that trips us up. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I mean, I do think if one headwind comes to mind, it, it, it's the political division that we have. Sure. You know, I mean, I think it feels like that's just getting further emboldened, you know, every year. Hopefully that washes off at some, at some point over the next decade or two, um, but it's hard to believe that that's possible when we sort of getting back to the other point, we have sort of people getting their news from different sources. As I said, if you can't agree on the facts, how are you supposed to have a, any sort of you know realistic debate on you know on policy? And I think that's just unfortunately the world we live in. But um, now, generally, I'm optimistic as well. I mean, I, I still think today we sit in a at the. I don't know what inning we are in in this sort of technological innovation. I think it's, it's sort of a game that just keeps getting extended. Um, it's uh, the, the amount of innovation and the new ideas and new companies that are coming on board basically every day. Um, it, it's just remarkable. And so many of those add to the quality of life of, of, of people around the world. Uh, and I think that is something that people take for granted, but is a huge part of progress that's happening um, you know, in this country uh, and around the world. Um, and it's easy to focus on the negative stories that are in the news, which they tend to be more negative than positive because that gets more attra- more attention. But there are a lot of really good things that are happening um, in the world um, that should give us all a reason um, to be optimistic. And you know, getting back to sort of that innovation idea, you know, I think entrepreneurship has been embraced um, by this country. I mean, you think about the show Shark Tank. You know, yeah. that's. That is really, in my opinion, a very popular show. And the reason it's popular is because people have embraced the idea that, you know, anything is possible. And what a great message to put out there to young people that, you know, if you have a great idea and you're willing to work, you know, anything is possible. And I think those the, those things will only continue to be to be better. And, and so as much as we talk about companies getting more conservative and not hiring as much, sometimes those factors actually force people into a place where they need to innovate and they need to create their own job. I mean, a lot of the 
biggest companies in the world were started in recession because it was a few people coming together and and saying well, we've got a better way to do it and we're forced to now because our situation is 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 forcing us to to do so so i you know i, I it, it will be very exciting to see what happens over the next 10 years issues will always be there and they're right in front of us in the real time and and that just requires investors advisors uh to 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 just take as an objective look as possible and try to just you know, filter out the noise um, yeah. wherever we possibly can. Yeah, you know? no, I agree. I agree. Um, you know, I, I think also with the opportunity out there, there's a statistic. I, I read in one of our commentaries a year ago or so. I think it was like 20% of people have a side job that they're doing and bringing home substantial money. It was like over $1,000 a month. You know, that didn't exist 10 years ago. Yeah. 20 years ago, it wouldn't even been heard of. Right. You know, what? there's so much opportunity. There, there, there are a lot of challenges in today's world. Yeah. Don't want to sugarcoat that. But there's a lot of opportunity in today's yeah. world as well. Well, I just think just like investors have to stay nimble, just citizens in general have to say, maintain a nimble stance. You know, no one's job is 100% secure. I mean, yeah. with with all of the innovation that happens, that disruption puts basically every industry at some level of, of risk. So it just requires people to just be more open to the possibility that, you know, my job in 10 years or 20 years uh, may look different than I originally anticipated. And sure. I think people that embrace that, and I think that's become sort of a common um, uh, philosophy, I think that, that most people are now just accepting. It's just the, the world is changing and it, it, it sort of requires you to, particularly from an economic opportunity standpoint, to, to sort of evolve. And I think as investors, as advisors, you know, we need to to make sure we always maintain that stance as well. I yeah. mean, just, you know, just assuming that a, an industry or a company will do well because of because it always did, that that just that does not work yeah. anymore. So. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you. Uh, great conversation. Yeah, Always fun. good to, to um, you know, brainstorm on some of these ideas. And uh, I want to thank everybody for listening today. Uh, we'll be trying to uh, record these uh, conversations, you know, uh, on a somewhat regular basis. And we appreciate any feedback you could give us on today's conversation. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Take care.